Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Jose from the Positively Cynical Podcast. How y'all doing out there? I'm here with a friend today. Please introduce yourself. What's up, everyone? Question here. How's it going, Jose? What's going on? The question is, how's it going? How's it going? And it's going well. It's going really well. Everything is going really, really wonderfully and swimmingly and beautifully for me lately. So I can't complain. Yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah. Things are going great. Yeah. So quick, quick disclaimers. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. We're doing good. Quick disclaimers, uh, quick announcements. Uh, as always, the best way to support your favorite podcast is to like, rate, share, and subscribe to your favorite podcast. You can find us where all of your favorite podcasts are sold. Just look for Positively Cynical Podcast. Any feedback on the podcast is, of course, appreciated. You can get to us at PositivelyCynicalPodcast at gmail.com. If there are any sound issues or artifacts with this episode, we are recording remotely. So if there are any issues with that, please let us know. Any feedback is appreciated. So yeah, let's get right to it. Uh, Today's Today's discussion, we're going to talk about the phrase shut up and dribble and the the connotations behind that. I guess this kind of ties into cancel culture, an episode that we've certainly discussed. But yeah, so what does the phrase shut up and dribble mean? What is that? Like, who says that to whom in what context? Like, what situations have you found yourself seeing that phrase sort of embodied tell us question like a little bit about it well i guess nowadays uh especially in light of recent events uh when you see something like that nowadays i would say that that uh first connotates any athlete maybe not necessarily i guess in this instance an athlete right um who it's not necessarily has an opinion it's not necessarily a basketball player but i feel like no well, that's what the term is most connected to. Um, what the hell is her name? Was it Laura Ingram who essentially claimed that phrase not so long ago? From Fox when News? She's, yeah, when she said that to LeBron James. Because uh, he happened to have you know an opinion on something and yeah. had to express it. Mm-hmm. And she basically said, hey, we pay you essentially to shuck and jive and oh. he shuck and dribble. <laughs> well. Well, I mean, if you want to put it out there, yeah, mm-hmm. that's pretty much what she said. We pay to entertain, so keep your mouth shut and you know do that for us, and you're not allowed to have an opinion because well, I don't know why, but I guess you have to ask her. But that's pretty much where it stems from. Yuck, yuck, minstrel, like dance for me, that kind of thing. Well, yeah, I mean, there's been a history in this country of that, right? Whether it's uh, whether it's you can say it, uh, <laughs> I, I, I guess it's a lot of it is race based. Um, mm. It has been historically, uh, and like you said, it hasn't necessarily been just attached to sports, um, all forms of entertainment, um, whether they be yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, whether it would be something that's, uh, I don't want to say self-inflicted, but self-inflicted as far as race, or told to us, so to speak, um, by those of a certain race, Mm, of others, 
Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll be nice. The others? It's racist. You're othering people. It, it Other in this instance actually means other, not, you know, the, in quotes, other. <laughs> not the you people, in quotes? No, not the you people. Oh, it, you know, it's... <laughs> not, not my African-American, that, in quotes? No, not... You know, it's funny. The you people phrase... Um, that always just kind of makes me chuckle. Um, <laughs> Why is that? It, I remember the, I want to say the first time I heard it, but I guess the first time where I heard it and I was just like, Hey, wait a minute. Um, Hold on there. And it was something where my grandmother actually pointed out to me, this is 1992. I'll never forget. So you were like 12 years it? old, right? Like 11, about, 12 years old. Yeah. You it was the summer of 92. It was the summer of 92 and I was in Florida for the summer. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother was watching TV and it was, was it the presidential election of 92? You know, it was Bush and Clinton. Yeah. First Bush, Bill, uh, Bill Clinton and Ross Perot. And Ross Perot was speaking to the NAACP. And literally for about an hour and a half to two hours, he kept on saying, blah, blah, blah. blah. Oh, you know, something to the effect of, oh, I have a lot of plans for you people. You people want a lot of things from the government. Well, I'm going to help you people. Mm, I remember that. And, on, 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 on. and it didn't dawn on me. And then uh, my grandmother was just like, hey, what the hell? And she kind of started you know, cursing and throwing stuff at the TV. And she's like, why is he calling this you people? Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, what is going on with that? <laughs> More or less. I mean, it sounded strange, but you know, I guess I didn't pick up on it so much because you know, of the age. My grandmother, she... She saw right through that more so. How old was your grandmother was like, at the yeah. time? Just out oh, of curiosity. Oh, God. I don't know. 60s, 70s, I guess. Uh-huh. Old enough. Let's put it that way. Old enough to know what the hell he meant by that more so. You know, specifically you know, you how old your, your, your grandmother was in 1992? Oh, goodness. Um, I have to do math. Yeah, that's fine. Math uh, Math is fundamental. You're, it's okay if you do some math. I'm just curious, like, because that gives me a, an idea of the generational I attitudes. Would s- Say mid seventies. It was yeah, she was about, yeah, what, about seventy-five-ish. Okay. About seventy-five-ish. Okay. And she's and she came from another country, mind you. So Which grandmother you know, was this? What country did she come from? Oh, from Jamaica. From yeah, Jamaica. My father's mother. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she's she's she was her young, know, she was in America for a while. So about you know, she saw some things. In so she was born in the in the thirties. No. In the twenties. Teens, man. Oh yeah, 90s. yeah, yeah. Yeah, like nineteen fifteen or something like that. Yeah, wow. Ish. So she's seen some shit. Math, see, um, but yeah, that's wow. See, that's, yeah, she's seen some shit. <laughs> yeah, you know, no, no. it's early. It's not as early in the morning for me as it is for you, but I've also really had a lot of me. coffee and like just I don't know. My my head's all over the place. Reasons. Um, okay, so that's. That's that was a, a nice little little, a little tangent, yes. Kind of, but that, that I mean, <laughs> either way, that relates in a sense to to what we're talking about here, right? Because in a sense, I mean, you, they they kind of told Ross Perot to shut up about that, but that's a, that's a that's a that's not well, exactly the argument, but that's another no, that's another facet it's, it's of what we're talking about, right? In a way, in yeah. a sense. Well, let's just say that it's, a, it's about uh, I guess to tie, I guess to tie everything together, uh, that didn't really help. Ross Perot's campaign that kind of was the beginning of the end. I think that a lot of people, uh, you know, in the black race and in others kind of 
saw that and was just like, oh, hey, okay, this, what's up with that, basically? What's um, up with that? What's yeah. up with that? I think that uh, was kind of the start of the end for us, Perot. It kind of made people look a little bit differently at him mm-hmm. for what it's worth. We all know what happened. He didn't win. Yeah. Maybe it's for the best. <laughs> he certainly changed so. third party politics for the time. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. So shut up and dribble, right? Uh, yeah, let's get back on course. Let's. <laughs> Yeah, no, we we we'll, we try to stay on track, but if we go on the sides, uh, go with us. It's a it's a fun ride sometimes. Um, so shut up and dribble. That's you think about instances like what was it, Mahmoud Abdul Roof? Is that his name? Yes, I think about that. That's that's one of the first instances you think about, isn't it? Right. Well, I mean, that's, one not, that's not one of the first ones that comes to mind. That's not one of the first ones that come to mind, right? But that that's one of the first ones that really resonated maybe with our generation, right? Because we were like. 15, 16, maybe. I think he was younger than that, but he was he was essentially Colin Kaepernick before Colin Kaepernick. And he got as far as the <sighs> national anthem goes and he got roasted. His refusal. He was oh, done. Yeah, he, so did Colin Kaepernick. And that was gonna be one of the other examples, but my mind went a little bit further back to maybe something from our youth, since I guess you have your story about Ross Perot from when you were around twelve. That's probably around from the same age, I guess, right? About, I think it was early nineties. I think yeah, the same age, like ninety three ish. I want to say, right? Um, what was the, what was the context for that? He was he was protesting the flag by kneeling as well, wasn't he? Or no, like, well, like national sitting, anthem, the national anthem. Yeah, he refused to to stand to stand for the national anthem. Yeah, it wasn't even mistaken. wasn't even kneeling the way that Kaepernick did. Yeah, now, yeah, he Kaepernick was more visual. Um, and more silent. Like, ideally, Mahmoud Abdul Roof was as well. But yeah, I mean, then, well, Kaepernick made those either. made those choices for some other reasons that we'll get to. Um, Raouf kind of acted alone, not to make it sound like nefarious, but you know, he it was every every aspect of the way that he protested uh, as a Muslim at the time. I believe, right? Is is mm-hmm. he protested like American imperialism and all of that stuff, which we know exists. <laughs> you can have your opinion on it, but it exists. American imperialism is a thing. Um, and he had his opinions on it and he got canceled. Huh? There's that phrase. Ha, 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 ha. He got canceled for it. Um, and yeah, you talk Ironically about. Ironically enough. Right. You talk about Colin Kaepernick, <laughs> of course, with his kneeling for the flag. You talk about LeBron James, who's had his opinions on Black Lives Matter and on young black men. Many other things. Being shot by the police and, and the denial of that, I guess you could say his opinion on the, the, American denialism in regards to these things. Well, you know, well, you know, it's funny if you want to even go. I wouldn't even say further back, but I guess around the same time. I don't know if you recall Muhammad Ali. Um, well, I can, go, for, I can to, go further back. I can too. I mean, you could talk about, about 1968, the, Mexico City, talk about the Olympics, the raise fist, yeah. the Olympics. Yes, yeah. um, but it's very interesting. I guess you reference Abdurrahman first because around the same time. If I recall correctly, mm-hmm. uh, they asked Michael Jordan that same question as far as, hey, what are your views, your opinions on standing for the flag, saluting the national anthem, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I think he said something along the lines of, was it Republicans buy shoes too or something like that? Yeah. Um, that was the whole yeah. thing. Republicans buy sneakers. He was, yeah, because yeah, mm-hmm. he, he didn't want to tarnish his image or alienate himself from other people that may not agree with him. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. When it came to Nike, and if it did Nike, it's very fascinating. That's very different I mean, now, isn't it? 
<laughs> well, yeah, I mean, look what he's done. <laughs> and, well, and, and Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan. Uh, you know, too, maybe yeah. I don't know. I don't know if one influenced the other. I'm sure it did. He's not as, as vocal, but he's a, he's donated a lot of money to certain causes these days, and he's been more yeah. open about that. I think to certain, I mean, black causes and things of that nature, sort of minority causes. I mean, I, I'm, I mean, I guess this is going to skew more towards basketball. It just seems as if, especially in light of the past year. Well, no, we can talk is. about Muhammad Ali too, because I just um, have you seen One Night in Miami on Amazon Prime yet? If I, not, you should. No, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it yet. I've heard about it, but I haven't seen it yet. So that's a really great film because that definitely delves into the politics of Muhammad Ali. Uh, what is it? Muhammad Ali, Sam Cooke, Malcolm X, and Jim Brown. They like it's like Jim Brown's another one. There you a, go. It's a fictionalized account of them meeting basically in Miami, like all those years ago. And this was before Malcolm X was. Well, this is what when Malcolm X was having his misgivings about the Nation of Islam, and this is. Uh, up and coming Muhammad Ali, Sam Cooke before he wrote Change is Gonna Come, uh, and Jim Brown around the time of his retirement when he decided to go into acting. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, yeah, it delves into a lot of, I guess, their responsibilities as athletes and entertainers, as black athletes and entertainers, to speak out on their opinions about the treatment of, of black people in America. So it's, and it's based on a play, um, you know, the screenplay was, was written by the, the author of the play by the playwright. So, I mean, it's really good. You should check it out, but that's like another bit of context. I don't want to talk about it too much because I don't want to spoil the movie for everyone. I would like for people to seek it out and enjoy it, but you can talk about Muhammad Ali, right? Because he had his opinions about the, Vietnam War, right? The Vietnam yeah. War at the time. Uh, he was a conscientious, conscientious objector uh, because his opinion of the time was basically, and I'm paraphrasing here, he said, I don't want to go and kill uh, some Asian man for some white man that basically doesn't give a shit about me and some country that doesn't give a shit about, shit about me as a black man. And he was roasted for that at the time also i mean he still went on to become the the champ but and remain the champ the but, man went to jail for goodness sakes i mean yeah he pretty much was there, i was aware i was gonna say he uh he put his money where his mouth is i mean at the prime of his career wasn't he was supposed to go to vietnam and i guess to paraphrase you're paraphrasing you're right. He pretty much said something along the lines of, I don't want to fight and die for a country that doesn't respect me to go up against someone who I don't know has ever done anything to me. And I mean, he had a point <laughs> and he paid for it. Uh, again, in the, in the prime of his career, he went to jail, lost his championship, lost valuable earning money, earn, earning power. When he came back, yes, he reclaimed his championship, but from what I have heard, he was more or less a shell of his former self. I mean, that would happen with, you know, a few years of ring rust. So Tyson. he was never the same for different reasons. Different reasons. Yeah. He, he definitely did some, well, yeah, he went to prison for some bad shit. So mm-hmm. some really bad yeah. shit. So it's yeah. a different context, obviously, but just in terms yeah. of the context of boxers losing their, their step after going to prison, I'll say, um, but yeah, I mean, Ali definitely put his money where his mouth was, and so did Kaepernick, and and so did Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. They were all basically excommunicated from their sports, 
yeah. for time at least. And Abdul Rauf never returned to basketball, I believe, after that, right? And Kaepernick has I, not returned to football. Well, he was Mahmoud Abdul Rauf was in basketball. He just wasn't. I guess is how he sought after, as you can say. I mean, I mean, he, he petered. He petered out after that, right? His career wasn't that much longer after. Not that, really. After yeah, that. it was he, like two or three years. After that, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, he was uh, a pariah of sorts after that. Um, I guess back then it wasn't cool to be associated with social change. He just finished out so, his contract, basically. And then it was like, no, yeah, everybody else is like, fuck teams. you. Like, we don't want you. We don't want that that headache. The same issue that we see with Kaepernick today who, who has to shut up and dribble, right? Well, it's it's fascinating because, as you mentioned, in even, even in the early 90s, it wasn't good business sense to be a part of that. It's very fascinating how things have changed. Um, you mentioned before, you know, Le- the LeBrons of the world who are much more vocal, but they also have a lot more pull. You know, I mean, I don't know if anybody like a Michael, if a Michael Jordan had done what he had done at that time, it would have resonated. And hell, he might've been further, much, much, much further along in this struggle than we are now. Granted, mm-hmm. Michael jumped on board a little bit too late. If he but his, imagine if he if he put his shit on the line. That. If he just said, There's "Hey, Mahmoud, you know, put his arm around him and was just like, yo, I got you." I understand from his point of view that's going out of his pocket. But that's correct to, you know, you know, to the movement and the idea. The best player yeah, yeah, of his gone. generation, if not the best basketball player of all time, saying like, you know what, like America kind of fucking sucks. But like this is oh, that would have been his career too. In I mean, a lot of instances. Yeah, lost a, I mean, that's money out of his pocket too. I get it. Thirty years removed again, from principle. Ali doing it, basically, right? From like thirty well, years down the road, it would have had a little maybe. more impact in your eyes. It's like the Cosby effect, but it'd be the Jordan effect. No. Well, he again, he's putting his money where his mouth is now. I think that. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen The Last Dance, that whole Michael Jordan documentary no, that no, came out. I haven't. Amazing, amazing, amazing. And, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of dig inside a little bit as far as, you know, why didn't you We talk about social issues when you were playing? And he really goes so, so much into it from what I call. I mean, he mentioned something along the lines of, you know, it was, again, it was a different time. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to. It wasn't like I didn't have opinions. Um, I just voiced them quietly. Uh, he had said something about, I think it's true. No, it's true. Uh, he backed a Democratic candidate, a black man, running for a senator of North Carolina against Jesse Helms. Mm-hmm. I think it was in the early 90s. And people had asked him, hey, you know, why don't you come out and support this guy? Um, you know, your word would carry a lot of weight in the state of North Carolina against, well, an unabashed racist like Jesse Helms. Yeah. Um, what do you say? And Michael was like, well, you know, I support him. And I'll give him some money. I really can't come out <laughs> and say how I truly feel. He did, but again, not as vocal as some people say he could have been. Uh, I think that, I don't want to say he learned his lesson from that, but that seems to have weighed on him uh, over the years. And that was, geez, 30 years ago? No, 20 years ago. Again, math. I can't do math right now. I think it was about 20 some odd years 20, ago. 20, 25 yeah. years ago, right? Something like that. Whenever the early 90s were. Yeah. That's that, like, <laughs> it's that's like 25 years ago, 30 years ago. Sounds about right. Almost 30 years ago. 
Sounds about right. Okay, so let's 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 ask a question and let's throw in a little bit of context with Mr. LeBron James. Uh, so Jordan, you know, we talk about like I guess you look, you watch this documentary. He gave his explanations as for why. I don't know if they give any context or ask the question in this documentary regarding that if it's his responsibility as an athlete to speak out. But before you you give me your thoughts on that. And I'll give you my thoughts on that, of course, as well. Before you give me your thoughts on that, let's talk about LeBron James and you know his activism in the black community is is unmistakable, right? But in terms of responsibility to speak out, a lot of people talked about his responsibility to speak out in terms of certain abuses in China, right? You've heard mm. you've heard that issue, they, yeah, because the NBA and their relationship, yeah, the NBA regarding their relationship with China and their their desire to to expand their market into China with players like Yao Ming and and all of that is is well known and well documented. So there's there's that. So is it Michael Jordan's responsibility or indeed any athlete's responsibility to speak out or or should they be more like Charles Barkley who we've spoken about in the past? Well, I mean that's a personal decision, right? No, I mean if you as an athlete feel comfortable enough or again if you have the pull to do that, you know, LeBron can get away with something like that because that's who he is. He is the league essentially. So his words carry more weight. He knows the power which he wields. Um, he knows that what he says is going to move the needle, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so, are, so are Jordan's I, critics like kind of blowing hot air and saying that he, he was required to speak out in terms of, of black rights and to support somebody like Mahmoud Abdul Rauf and to, to use more of his clout and put his career on the line. Are those people out of line? No, opinion? no, I mean, no, they're not. Okay. And it, so look, you, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Yeah. And if Michael Jordan felt that he I, could, I understand that. I understand that. No, well, ways, well then voice, yes. I understand that though. But like, I want to, I want to be a little more clear on your opinion rather than, than their opinion. Other than, rather than saying everybody's entitled to their opinion, let's try to dig into it a little deeper about how you feel. You know what I mean? Like, because clearly <laughs> yeah. there's, there's a slight disconnect, right? I mean, it, they're entitled to their opinion, but also Jordan is entitled to his opinion, which is great. And of course, that's why we live in America and we live in a democracy. And that's that's great and that's wonderful for the most part. We have we have freedom of speech and freedom to say and do whatever we, we please. But like, yeah, to, to not basically play both sides, in a sense, by, by what you're saying, wouldn't they sort of be out of line by telling him that it's his social responsibility to do that? like forcing him to put his career on the line. I know it's a complex decision and Hey, yeah. your name is questioned for a reason. No, no you're absolutely right. But again, that's why I said everyone's entitled to their opinion. People can protest any way they feel. You mm -hmm. don't, it's it, to Michael Jordan. He felt his, his way of protesting didn't need to be verbal and vocal and shouting from the rooftops. He gave money to politicians or to candidates in order to combat those things. He did it silently. There, there really is no right way to protest. So I guess to answer your question, no, you, you, they're, they're, they're wrong. They are wrong. Yeah. His critics are wrong by, by that specific criticism in terms of, 
Well, I guess I bet I guess basically they're not wrong, but they don't know the whole they didn't know the whole story because he didn't shout it from the rooftops, like you said. That right? plus again, yeah, there every you feel your way, he feels his way. Maybe there were some parts of the cause that he didn't feel he either needed to be vocal about or didn't agree with. So I can't fault him for how he acted. Um, especially in, in light of how he's reacting to situations now. Again, he's putting his money where his mouth is now. Um, maybe for him, a lot of it was self-reflection. Again, he probably sat down and was just like, yeah, what did, what did I do for the past, say, 25, 30 years? Maybe I should have been more active. And he's making amends for that now. Again, you you, you can't tell someone how to protest. You know what? I've, I got to say, as my opinion, I feel you on that because – I don't think there's anything wrong with Michael Jordan, say like an athlete who wants to just like play their, play their, their out their career and get their job done. Like we all want to like, just get, get through and excel in our career. Right. Just like, and they want to do it just like anybody else. They can do it in 15, 20 years. And that's a blessing for them. But you know, if you're an athlete, you just want to finish out your career, make your money. And then maybe like, yeah, he approached it right. He's like, you know what? I'm not playing basketball anymore. I'm, I got my money. I got my clout. You know, nobody can really take me down at this point, so I can say whatever I want at this point, and I have more money and more clout to do it than I ever would have as a player because I also don't have as much to lose in this sense. Exactly. Right? And he and now he's even further in, in this sense. You know, now he has the ability to force or foster that much more change because of the fact that maybe his silence – you know, he got he got more money out of that, which he could put towards the cause nowadays. Right. Um, it's interesting. Again, we, we're sticking with basketball a lot, but it's fascinating. Well, Again, I, the, I have I have a bit of context. I don't know if you want to finish your thought, but but I have a bit of context that'll that'll take it outside of basketball and entertainment for a second. Go ahead. Oh well, well I no, you can go ahead. Uh, we'll, I do want to go back to basketball because of something that actually just happened right. not too long ago. But you can go with your thought all right we'll circle we'll circle back around to that to the shut up and dribble aspect of it very literally but you want to say and think about like in your everyday um let's put it this way like how much do you want to put on your social media in terms of like your own employment as a as a in whatever your career is as an everyday person you know i mean being in 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 computing and it and you being in in whatever how much you want to share about if you think you you mentioned on one of our previous podcasts that you what capacity you work in right now um, before so, you continue i think i know where you're going with this i'll let you finish oh go ahead go ahead yeah go yeah I think okay I know where you're going with this. so <laughs> so we put ourselves to a certain standard to just get through that shit and to like make our money and to live our lives and maybe to get to a point in our lives right where we have more money and more clout for ourselves for whatever reasons we want to put our money and clout into whatever whatever cause we're, we're thinking of. All right. And I'm, I'm rambling a little bit here, but like, let's tie that into something celebrity wise, where maybe some people might say that even, you know, if your opinion is problematic, maybe people would say that like, you shouldn't share it so much. And that's like, say Gita Carano, right. From the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with her. I mean, I don't agree with her opinions really at all. And I have to put that out there and she has the right to voice them. But for the context, like as an employee of 
of the Disney Corporation who repeatedly asked her to stop being that political and saying those things. That's another aspect of it, right? That's maybe a little bit of hypocrisy too, because she was asked to shut up and dribble repeatedly. And we're talking about athletes who maybe for a cause that we support more than hers are, we're we're telling them not to shut up and dribble, like speak out more maybe or not. So that's that bit of context too, right? Because I mean, what do you think in terms of how you tie that to your everyday versus somebody like a Gina Carano who was, who was excommunicated from her industry or from the show that she was on? Well, as unsavory as her opinions may or may not be, she's still entitled to have them. This is America, right? Like you said. So she's entitled to her opinion the same way anybody else is, no matter how crazy those opinions may be. Right. And her employer was entitled to fire her, but was the NFL also entitled to basically fire Colin Kaepernick? Right. Well, in the grand scheme, this is America and the NFL is a business. Everything comes down to money in the end, don't you think? Of course. If it's good, if it's good business for a Coca-Cola, for a Delta Airlines to say, hey, voting rights in Georgia have been compromised. I'm coming out in support against that. Again, that's probably because it's more a good business sense mm-hmm. than self-righteousness. I like how you're tying it, corporations into it. Yeah, go ahead. Well, again, because it wasn't good business sense for the NBA to be associated with the Mahmoud Abdurraouf back in the day. It wasn't good business sense for the Olympics to be tied you know, with uh, the raised fist in 1968. It's, all, it's sad to say to me, a lot of this, it all boils down to money. All of it. Um even the fact that, I mean, think about it. People had to force, I guess to go back to a point that you had made before, as far as forcing people to come, I don't want to say to the right side of history or the right side of the table, but look what happened a few weeks ago when it came to the Cokes and the Deltas and the Home Depots. You know, a lot of people put pressure on them and said, hey, you are in Atlanta. This law is somewhat questionable. Hey, Coke, etc. What say you? And to tie, I guess, what yeah. we did and spoke about as far as cancel culture, again, it's very amusing that people are canceling or boycotting things when they complain about things being canceled or boycotted. But I digress. Um, yeah. it's It all comes down to money. Righteousness or no. Like, look what happened over the past year. Right? Now it's fashionable to say, hey, social injustice, that's a problem now. You know what? You know what I have to say about that? Like – I th- we've talked about this before in private, and this is this is that's not a controversial opinion, but it's a slightly controversial statement. I think lip service is fucking awesome. I do. I think lip service by corporations is fucking awesome, and you know why that is? Because, like you said, it, you got to follow the money, and that shows you that in America, the money is starting to drift towards actual causes that people support. Right. If if somebody puts up a black square for a day, yeah, it's kind of a fucking basic basic ass gesture and like whatever. Who cares about it? Doing that speaks volumes. If you're a company, if you're a company that 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 stands to lose money, yeah, I think it does speak volumes. Which I which is why I think like lip service, while definitely condescending, is fucking awesome at the same time. Well, well, the past few years have really changed the dynamic of how protest is done. Even even as something's arbitrary as a mask, we can tie all of this together. Um, in some instances, 
wearing a mask is seen as a sign of protest for the pandemic. I don't know why there's an issue wearing a mask, but in some Not places, yeah. mm-hmm. well, in, in some places uh, where governors of certain states have said, Hey, you're free to not wear a mask nowadays. There are businesses, big box stores that have said, okay, that's the way you think, but no. we ain't coming in this store unless you're wearing a mask. I don't give a shit what you say. Right. Isn't, isn't somebody, isn't dissent, not dissent. That's a form of protest. Are they trying to, isn't All the of, of Texas trying to, uh, trying to um, penalize stores that want to do that? Wasn't there something along the lines of that that he wanted to put in the legislation? I believe I yeah, read that somewhere. He wanted to be like, uh, hey, Costco, you can't do that to Texans or something like that, right? I, I, again, basic First Amendment rights, right? I mean, it, go, it kind of goes back to the argument as corporations are people. It's very interesting what that, what Until that context – Well, it, it's very interesting how that context uh, works in some instances, i.e. campaigns but not in others, i.e. social justice. Yeah, You can't have it both ways, but, well, some people try to. But that's what we do. We're human. We want everything. We want it all. Yeah. I would say that um, in this instance, <laughs> you mentioned Charles Barkley before. Yes. And we talked about him he, on the cancel culture episode, I think, in terms yes. of role models, right? Yeah. He said, he's always said, I'm not your role model. Um, that hasn't stopped him <laughs> from being outspoken about a lot of things. Right. In, in the like, same era right. as Michael Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And he's, yeah. he was outspoken like basically from the beginning and he from didn't really, he didn't really lose shit, which is interesting if you look at it. Right. Well, you know, when not, really. When, not really. No, 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 no. But again, that funny enough, that's his personality, right? When you know that that's the kind of person you are and they say, Oh, that's just Charles. Well, then you, you know what to expect when someone like him speaks out about certain things. Uh, Michael Jordan, I guess, back in the day, wasn't really known for that, so maybe it might have sounded a little stranger. But, like I said, protest takes all forms. That's kind of unfair if you think about it, right? Because it depends on how people perceive you from the very beginning, whether or not you're going to get away with that kind of shit. Well, Because Kaepernick, people- right, like, and Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf and, and Muhammad Ali, I guess, if you think about it, like, they they weren't that way immediately, and they suffered for it because people saw them as like not to not to be not to put too fine a point on it, but like, hey, you're like the good one. You're supposed to be the good one. So and, well, and, and you're it, you're getting out of line. What the hell? Like, there was a documentary, not even a documentary, it was a special. Y'all know what I mean by the good one too. <laughs> y'all know what I mean. Well, as far there was a. Special documentary. It was out a few weeks ago uh, when it was the 50th anniversary of the first Ali Frazier fight. And, you know, I wasn't around when that happened, but I had heard the stories as to the symbolic significance of that fight. Not only were the two best boxers at the time fighting against each other, but again, like you said, Muhammad Ali was very outspoken for his day. And he essentially called Joe Frazier out on not being outspoken. And there was a lot of bad blood between the two because of what Ali had said about him. What was it? Um, that he was essentially the white man's boxer. He was uh, not as down with the cause, let's just say, because he was silent. Yeah. Um, and you can take that to mean Ali was trying to hype up a fight. You can take that to mean that he was genuine in what he was saying. But 
bottom line, Joe Frazier apparently never really forgave him for what he said. And he was really hurt by that. Um, it's, it's fascinating, you know, just over the years, how this argument takes shape. But again, it's a lot, a lot of it is sign of the times and, and all it boils down to money. All of it. I mean, how much money they made for that fight? I mean, it was it was a sellout. It it might it might be a charged issue, but again, in the end, it's a money maker, one way or the other. Yeah, it boils down to money for the business or the entity, as mm-hmm. well as the person that is involved and employed by that entity. I guess in terms of and if you look at it, boxers, from, entertainers, whoever yeah. else, right? How much money you can you stand to lose? Or I guess yeah, if you're Charles you Barkley or others, uh, not to cut you off, if you're Charles Barkley or others, I guess if your persona is already that of someone who is it's outspoken, outspoken, then you don't. You can make money that money. way too. You can make or, money that way, yeah. That's what I'm saying. He, you can say something along the along lines of, "Well, that's just Charles." So there are certain things that you come to expect from people because of just yeah their personality, um, but. It's very fascinating. Yeah, when you look through the decades from, let's just say, the 60s on, you know, just how this argument has evolved. You can go uh, even further back when it comes to boxing, the Great White Hope. And that argument, you know, from way back when, yeah. was that in the 30s and the 20s? Um, Joe Lewis, all the things he had to go through, and on and on and on. We talk about basketball. It was boxing before basketball. Uh, if you want to look at it from a different angle, and you want to take baseball, um, it's not even a matter of racial or social justice or injustice. The fight about free agency with Kurt Flood, that in and of itself, he was outspoken back in the day in the early 70s. I don't recall that one. Can you can you give me a little context on that? But, but I've got to say, like, I don't know if you can hear that or if any of our listeners can hear that. My dog is playing with a with a chew toy right now. So if there's any background noise, <laughs> I hope it's not too distracting. I told y'all there'd be some artifacts, but like Kurt flood, tell me a little bit about that. I don't know about that. Long story is short. Kurt flood was a baseball player in the sixties and seventies. And he was the first person to speak out about free agency back in the day. Speak out like uh, how? Well, as far as demanding it uh, back in the day, Oh, okay. teams were you were essentially owned by teams uh, if a team wanted to trade you you had no say in where you wanted to go anything regarding yeah where you basically yeah where you where, wherever you wanted to go was dictated completely and totally by the team that you played with and Kurt Flood basically said well screw that so wait is he was he when was the players union started was he involved in that or was this he somebody who was instrumental in giving more power to the players union Again, he was someone who sacrificed his career in the end, but one free agency. I, if I'm not mistaken, I think in the early 70s, he had sued. I can't remember the team he played for. But basically, he sued because he was traded to a team he didn't want to play for, and he fought back. And the team was like, well, no, we own you and your contract, so you go here and you do as you're told. And he basically said, screw you. I have rights as a player and a human being, and I will challenge that. He sued Major League Baseball. He sued the team. I think it went all the way to the, up to the Supreme Court, if I'm not mistaken. I want to say he won, 
But again, it came at a cost. He sacrificed his career again, because no other team wanted to be a part of that conversation. And ideally it came down to money. He was not the most popular person and he was toxic in quotes at that time. So while all these athletes enjoyed the fruits of free agency, yeah, there was basically one person who sacrificed his career in order to give it to the rest of them. I had to look it up very uh, quickly, and this is from beyondtheboxscore.com. It looks like, I'm not even going to read the whole article, but it looks like, yeah, he was involved and instrumental in the, the status of the Major League Baseball Players Association gaining its status as a true union in about 1966. So I don't yeah. know when he played, maybe a little before that, I guess. I think it was around that time, 60s, mm-hmm. I want to say early 70s, before he was more or less pushed out of the sport. It looks like, yeah, in, in the in the 1890s, there was a failed Players League due to lack of financing, and there was a Supreme Court decision in 1922 that gave the MLB antitrust exception, which I guess lasted basically until the 60s and Kurt Flood. And- well, I think they About. still have yeah, – yeah, but I, I well, know that there's some exemptions that baseball still has. I'm not, I think they still have those antitrust – uh, exemptions, no? That's you, what the whole argument about uh, voting rights in Georgia is now with uh, MLB and right, the I, Braves. I guess that's true, but they definitely that definitely was instrumental in, in the blocking of a powerful players union until the 60s when they gained their, yes. their, their status. So yeah. you're, you're right, though. That's true. The, the, the antitrust status still holds for, the, for Major League Baseball. So that's another, I guess, kind of good example of somebody who spoke out against, against unfair business practices. That gets kind of outside the line of things, but it still ties. No, but into it all it. ties in again. Someone who, I mean, if 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 it's if the context of the conversation is someone who has an opinion that's not the most popular, um, well, yeah. Again, it comes in all forms. It doesn't necessarily have to be. Look, social injustice can be. Hey, I ain't getting paid that much. Where the hell's my damn money? Or my contract is shitty, <laughs> and you guys treat me like a damn slave on the field. So it's social injustice in a different way. It's, I mean, if a guy feels he's he owned by a team, he essentially was. They essentially were. But what do you what agency? If, what if you think about it in the player. context of if you have a job where you know that it's excuse me, it's very possible that you might have to relocate. Because as individuals, we deal with that as well, right? So tr- getting traded to another team, isn't that some somewhat similar to a, a job that you know is going to relocate you saying like, hey, we're going to move you to Kansas City? Kind of? Yeah. No? Well, yes, but- You sign a contract again, for that, right? Protest, well, prote- again, protest takes all forms, doesn't it? Yeah. If there's, it, it doesn't mean that you can't say something. Maybe you want to change it from within. Maybe things were cool until they weren't, and now it's an issue. You signed up for something. How many times have you signed up for something, and things were cool for a little while until they're not, and then you say, hey, wait a minute, and you want to change things. You're well within your right. That's happened to me a great many times. Right then. It's happened to me <laughs> many say. times. So, again, you don't, you don't have to be – doesn't always turn out well. No. It didn't turn out well for him. And as you can see in all these instances, it doesn't really turn out for the first person or the first in quotes that this that ha- that this that decides to pull that card. Uh, again, where's Colin Kaepernick? All he did was kneel. That's all he did. Let's talk and- about the context of that. Actually, let's talk about the context of that because we talked about Mahmoud Abdul Roof, and I said he acted alone. Colin Kaepernick didn't. 
Um, you want to go down this road as far I, again, a, a I, 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 I say that because the Kaepernick conversation in and of itself, that's, we always say this, this, this could be an episode in and of itself. <laughs> this, this, this might be a lengthy one. I think it could be an episode. I, want, in I, and of it. I think it could be an episode. <laughs> well, it could be an episode in and of itself, mainly because it's the most prime example when we're, you know, fully reasoned adults that can understand it a little bit better than say like the Mahmoud Abdul Rauf situation. But I mean, yeah, that could be its own episode, but I mean, let's talk about the context of it because the kneeling thing was actually not the first thing he did, right? He wasn't, he didn't start by kneeling. He started doing this by doing the exact same thing that Mahmoud Abdul Rauf did. He started by sitting and nobody even noticed it at first. I don't know if you remember that. Nobody noticed it really that much, or they noticed it, but nobody really cared. It didn't turn into this massive controversy, um, which is interesting. You know, we can certainly talk about that. But then, well, well before not to we, cut you off, I, I, before you before you continue, all I have to say is I don't understand why the national anthem has to be played before every sporting event. I think I remember. I think I know the history with the military. It. It's a contract with well, the military. In the NFL's case, it's a contract with the military. They have a, is it really? a partnership with the U.S. military. I believe with the Army specifically. I mean, I know that there are a bunch of military commercials whenever you watch football. Yeah. Take that however you will. That's the reason for um, it. Part of the partnership is for them to play the national anthem before every game. Do they pay? Do they pay the NFL to do that, or is I, I don't? That, I don't know, but whatever whatever really, reasoning it is, the the that that's part of the that's part of the agreement that they have with the with this branch of the military services. I can look it up to see if I can be more specific, but that's the gist of it. So that's the reason why that gets played. To kind of, I mean, it's 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 patriotism, right? It's to get people all yeah, hyped up and be like, yeah, football, and like, yeah, military commercials, and like, yeah, I'm gonna join, like, right? Well, yeah, it's all it's all one and the same. It's all propaganda. I think this. I think the story I heard, I'm not sure if it's true. I think it might be. I'm not sure. But wasn't it during World War II or something where they, exactly for that reason, they tried to tie the national anthem with the sporting events in order to hype Americans up to, you know, for war, for, uh, for war, right? I think that for baseball, for football, for the rest. Yeah, it was, I, I more or less thought it was kind of like a, silent handshake kind of thing or it was understood. Um, but I didn't know that it was, I don't want to say contractual obligation, but now I'm really curious well, as I, to again, that real relationship between the military and the NFL in particular. I'm not going to get it into it in detail, but I'll put this in, I'll put this in, um, well, I'll mention this. I'm on cheatsheet.com and it says, this was in 2018, an article written in June, 2018, June 11, 2018. Uh, and, Again, to just pull out a little bit of information from this, the NFL apparently gave or the 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 military. And let's see, is this the full? Is this the whole military as a partnership or the Department of Defense? Okay, so not even a branch of the military, but the military's overarching, the top of the pyramid, gave five million dollars to the NFL in a three-year span. So it's a it's a lot of money. It's for, not a huge for, amount of money for the NFL, I guess, but five million is a lot still. For the national anthem specifically? Just for the partnership. I don't, I'm not gonna get into the oh. details again. Cheatsheet.com okay. has an article that you and and I and anybody listening can look at it for You're more right. detail into this. I'm just curious because that kind of changes the narrative 
if it were specifically tied to the national anthem, that kind of answers a lot of other questions well, as you, to why the pushback. I'm glad you brought that up because the other side of my context is this. The the sitting that Colin Kaepernick did initially was was altered and edited because he spoke to a military veteran and the veteran told him that what he should do instead is kneel. If I'm not mistaken and vets out there, you can certainly email me and give me some feedback if this is not correct. But I, I had heard that kneeling for a fallen comrade is something that that soldiers do out of respect. I'm not a soldier myself. That's why I ask for the context from anybody that's in the military. I could be wrong. But kneeling is a sign of respect for a fallen comrade. So he said, like, you know, you can kneel and that'll show respect for like military and and kind of get that context out of it. But you can say, like, you know, I don't want to stand for the flag either, but I'm like supporting those people who fell for the flag. I guess that was the conversation, the gist of it with that veteran. Yeah, he yeah, I think he actually did research on yeah, how to protest. He did research, <laughs> yeah, and he spoke to people that, that he – Protested the way he did. Spoke to people that he could have offended, I guess. I, I don't know if that guy reached out to him or he reached out to that military veteran, but that's – I think he reached I think he reached out to the vets, I want to say. It could be the other if way I, around, but either way. I can't remember, but I know they had a conversation, you know. and that's – yeah, I think you're right. That's basically what they – more or less agreed would be a proper way to protest. And it's interesting you bring that up. We were going to go here anyway. I guess this is the time for the Colin Kaepernick portion of this episode. Um, Number one, when it comes to kneeling or a silent protest, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we can never win. You, you, You protest silently, people complain. You... Protest in the street, people complain. You riot, people complain. I mean, what? At some point, what <laughs> is there a right way of protesting? I guess not if you disagree with somebody, right? And this is an argument. It seems as if he can never win. It's a mess of argument to make. But I mean, damn it, how do you protest? And to go back to what we were talking about before, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Everyone has their own way of protesting. If he felt it was appropriate for him to use the platform that he has on a pretty damn big stage, like the beginning of an NFL game, for something I think is relatively relatively arbitrary as far bottom line why i said it again why are we why is the national anthem being played before a game and on television well you know why but if there's yeah that, we, that's we, we, the we, philosophical we why but yeah exactly and, and the existential why there's no why? need to have the national anthem play it doesn't affect a game any which way or form you couldn't if you have to play the national anthem couldn't that be something that's not televised that can be just an in-house stadium thing or an arena thing if you if why you know i don't want to say why subjecting to the national anthem but in a sense yeah why do they don't do that like, I know, I, nba games do they, they yeah do, they do well that was the do. whole Malcolm, I, haven't, I haven't watched situation. basketball in a while actually because the knicks suck but and <laughs> getting better, first of all. And second of all. <laughs> yeah, this season they that, are. That's true. Yeah, for once. I still but, follow them, but watching basketball was painful for like two decades with the Knicks. So. And apparently, I guess you don't watch basketball, at least 
fairly recently because that was an argument that the Dallas Mavericks had made. I don't know if you know, I think it was about a month or so ago. Um, the Mavericks had more or less said quietly. Who's, who's the coach that's, um, who's the coach of the Mavericks? Cause he was, he was involved in this as well. Right. I think I heard a little bit. About Carlisle. It. I think that um, if I recall there, you know, these games are pretty much not really played in front of audiences, or at least they weren't at the beginning of this current season. Yeah. Um, and the Mavericks for a couple of games at the beginning, just kind of skipped the anthem and just said, eh, nobody's in the arena and let's just play the game. Apparently NBA got wind of that because the Mavericks kind of spilled the beans and Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner was like, Oh, that's unacceptable. This is a mandate. You have to play the national anthem before every game audience or no. So yeah, the NBA says it too. I don't know if they have a partnership with the military. That that I, I'm not going <laughs> to look that up. Like what the hell? <laughs> I'm not going to look that up. So many years. You you all can do your own research. I'm not going to look into that wrinkle. I know that wrinkle exists in the NFL, and that complicates the things that Colin Kaepernick did. But I mean, I guess I still feel and agree that he was certainly entitled to to do and say those things. But I guess the NFL is also certainly entitled to be like, yeah, we don't want to hire you. And any team is entitled to say the same. It's still a business. So it's where, still a business. You know, I, I, I kind of wonder then where does the hypocrisy lie? That's where I want to like kind of – I want to no. explore that a little bit. I want to explore that a little bit. Yeah, because, I mean, we kind of touched on especially it a little bit. When, especially when the NFL then comes out and essentially says, oh, well, we stand against racism, blah, blah, blah. Well, did you when this dude knelt before it became cool? Isn't it intriguing that the NFL has not really mentioned Colin Kaepernick and apologized to him yeah. in all of these in all of these apology tour public statements that they've made? They've never been like, hey, like we were wrong and like Colin Kaepernick is dope. Like not like <laughs> not in those words. <laughs> but they're I mean they're all about his cause now, so and he's but like see, blacklisted from the NFL. So shouldn't they but, shouldn't they do that? I'm not saying somebody should hire them, but like shouldn't Well, they that's where the that? Well, that's where the line blurs, right? You can always say something to the effect of, Well, he was a crappy quarterback and but based on his skill. He wasn't though. I mean We know he, we know statistically that he's better than like usually about a th- at least a half of the quarterbacks that play every season. Okay. Well, half of the starting quarterbacks. I mean, in all honesty, his skills were kind of sort of diminishing. Right. I get it. But like there's still, still yeah, there's still 15 quarterbacks or so or 16 quarterbacks in the NFL that had worse statistics than him in the same time period that have jobs. Starting jobs. I was going to say, let's put it this way. Starting jobs. There's, let's put it this way. There's no reason as to why he couldn't have or still could not have. A an NFL professional football career. It's not like we if haven't right, seen people's skills people, diminish and them kind of come back. It, it happens. It's happened before. So about Michael Vick, he went to prison. He came back and he was pretty good for a little bit. He did a horrible yeah. thing, or he was involved in a horrible thing. And I have to say that, but like he came back and you know he paid his dues. He went to prison. I have to say that as well. He came isn't back that crazy, and he he excelled in the NFL, and now he's he's on he's like a, a, a news or he's like a, he's, a, he's an anchor, analyst. isn't he? He's an analyst. He's on like Fox or something. He's an analyst. I mean, he did his redemption tour. Like it's, it's, I guess you're right. Will Colin Kaepernick get that? I don't really. Not at this point. I don't think. I uh, think it's too late. I wonder, 
Well, then maybe. I think if you were talking like a year or two ago, maybe, but like now it's his skills have probably diminished so much more because of age and not being on the field. He's not that old, but still like maybe he's been on the field in years. Yeah. Well, remember the NFL did, what was it last year? I think it was last year of NFL workout of all the social, they gave him the workout. Yeah. And then they said, Oh, well your skills have diminished. And for this reason now we can justify officially that you suck and you no longer need to play football. Again, there are many, I, jeez, I, I, I can name a few quarterbacks that I'm sure he's still better than mm-hmm. that are either professional or backups in the NFL. A few of them played but for your team. A few of them played for your team. Don't yeah, I know. Let's not go down this road. <laughs> of course we can go down this road. I mean, Sam Darnold is gone now. He's in North Carolina. So, I mean, I'm not super happy about that, but – I mean, Even we're gonna get we're gonna get Wilson, so a I guess. Chance. I mean, he should get a second chance. We, I'm not gonna go too deeply into the sports aspect of this, <laughs> but or into the like statistical oh, and fan aspect of this. But we're we're getting into the sports aspect of this. But like, I thought he was a pretty good quarterback. I thought that the Jets didn't develop him properly, and I wish him luck in North Carolina. Basically, that's how I'll put it. It looks like the Jets are investing in the team a little bit more this season. And they might actually like be close to or above 500 or at 500, maybe, maybe, uh, I maybe about that. I mean, they've, the Jets. they've made some nice upgrades and the coach is definitely a lot better than Gase was. So they can, you know, they can reach that. They've done it before. I'm not saying they're uh-huh. going to make the fucking playoffs or win the Super Bowl. I have my expectations, but I think they can hit 500. We'll see. You know, they're better than they were last year. I, gosh, you know, as, as should be. from the outside looking in, as far as Jets fandom, I've heard this many, many, many times. You know, I mean, you know how many times I've heard with all your quarterbacks, oh, this is the guy. We're really going to win the Super Bowl now. This is like the fourth guy. I didn't I've heard say about we're going to win the Super Bowl, man. I didn't fucking say that. I did not say <laughs> that. See, you're putting words in my mouth, and this is why I hate having this conversation with you. This is why I hate having this conversation with you. Well, I'm not what? saying that. <laughs> I'm saying that they're going to be better, and they have a quarterback who has the most legitimate skills that the Jets have drafted in a very long time. Sam Darnold? No. The, well, well, they don't have him, but they're going. They're most likely going to draft him. You know it's almost a lock. I heard about this with Sam Darnold. I heard about this with, with Matt. What's his name? Uh, Mark. I never Mark said that about Sam Darnold. I said I like Sam Darnold, and he had some skills, and he can grow into a good quarterback. I never said he was like <laughs> Brett Favre. <laughs> Again, you're putting words into my mouth in terms of this conversation. Either this way, is, either way, the Jets could have used is, the Jets could have used Colin Kaepernick at some time period in yeah, in this time that he was gone, and so could have the Vikings, and so could have many other teams. Just to get back to that, obviously, yeah. there's many teams that could have used the Colin Kaepernick and excelled a little bit more than they did, gotten a win or two more at least. And for some Still teams, can. that could have been the difference. Still can. So, getting back to that point, like, yeah, is it you know. The NFL basically allowed his skills to diminish for a few years by blacklisting him because they were standing to lose money. And now you have the last couple of years where you have things like NASCAR, like taking the Confederate flag out of the out of the damn stands. And people are Isn't up in arms about that. Of all things, I wonder that's I don't know if it's a matter of right side of history, but that one that that kind of put a smile to my face in a pleasant way. As far as when NASCAR, you know, holy crap, you know, <laughs> of all the sports, you figure the most, and I'll say it in quotes, redneck of the sports. I, 
you know what I mean? Um, where you have the Confederate flag waving incessantly in the crowd, you have some of the racers who are saying, Hey, you know, I, I still stand for the stars and bars and all that crap. I want to have, um, I want to have another conversation about this some other time. And I've seen some great YouTube videos uh, by YouTube channels, like the Cavernacle, I believe is, is his name. Um, but it's interesting how in some cases, um, I'm going to have to double check that YouTube channel. Cause I hope that's not the channel that he's talking about and complaining about. Um, but essentially he's talking about, he had some, some videos that talk about how conservatives don't understand some of the media that they consume. Like one of them is about Ben Shapiro not understanding Blade Runner and it being his favorite movie and you know, things like that like conservatives who don't understand rage against the machine, like people who are our age who are conservative, they're like, wait, rage against the machine didn't like police. And like, it's like, did you listen to the song really? that came out? Say, did, did you hear a song by those guys? That's kind of their shtick. Yeah. That's, that's kind of their, their thing basically. Um, but, oh man, I, I forgot where I was going with this. Well, I'll, well, I was going to say, it's a kind of piggyback on yeah. what you just said. It's, and to tie all of it together, put a nice little bow on this. Look of all, look who of all, of all people more or less said, Hey, this ain't right, NASCAR, and decided yeah. to do something about it. Yeah, Michael before, freaking Jordan. I know what you were going to say. I know, I know what I was going to say. I'm sorry. It was definitely related to NASCAR. <laughs> it was relating to how people don't understand the history of the things that they enjoy. And and if you think about NASCAR and how people are all up in arms that they like, you know, basically put their fist in the air, lip service. We know, but said like, you know, fist in the air, Black Lives Matter to the haters. NASCAR did this, and. You know, people call that anti-police without realizing, and I don't know a hell of a lot about NASCAR, but one of the things I know about NASCAR is that basically the orange origins of it were fucking liquor bootleggers doing prohibition who souped up their cars to get away from the police. So if if the entire origin of your sport is basically fuck the police and you have a problem with them saying that in this day and age, then you clearly don't un the con understand the context and the history of these things that you consume. And there's so something wrong me, with that, right? That's so pretty what you're stupid. Telling me, what you're telling me is that NASCAR was founded on the principles of smoking and the bandit, basically. You know, you didn't know this? Did you know this? I, I, I don't know much about NASCAR. No, I didn't know... That's about the, that part of the history. That's the history origin of NASCAR. NASCAR. No. Again, if anybody wants to correct that or add some context to that, please, you can email us at, you know, at uh, positively cynical podcast at gmail.com. Give us some feedback. Let us know if I'm wrong about anything that I'm saying here, but I'm pretty certain for a fact, pretty certain, 99% certain that NASCAR was started on the back of bootleggers saying, fuck you cops. we got to get away from you because we got to get this liquor to our peeps. So that's pretty stupid if you ask me, I guess. And that's just an example of, again, this could be another episode, but people don't really understand what they're boycotting. Sometimes it's the same point I made with, uh, with people boycotting Coca-Cola in Georgia and, and drinking Dr. Pepper instead when Coca-Cola <laughs> is the is the one of the main bottlers of Dr. Pepper, even though they don't own Dr. Pepper, again, they have a business relationship and they benefit from people buying Dr. Pepper. Yet Crenshaw, Rep. Dan Crenshaw was like, fuck you, Coca-Cola, buy Dr. Pepper. Didn't do his research. But what I'd yeah. like to know is what Pepsi thinks of all of this. 
you know, is every, I, I, Pepsi conspicuous by their silence hasn't really said, Hey, we agree with, you know, the stance of all these others. They, they've been kind of <laughs> quiet because maybe people who are anti voting rights in Georgia and they're like, Hey, boycott Coke, you know, Pepsi might just silently be like, yeah, boycott Coke. Come to us. I don't know. I know what it is. <laughs> I know what it is. I know why Pepsi is silent. Um, if I'm not mistaken, then they have that Kendall Jenner commercial that people got real crazy about where she like handed a police officer oh. a can of Pepsi. <laughs> oh yeah. That's real <laughs> social change. And yes. like save the world. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so if I, when I think of social unrest, I think of a Kardashian or a Jenner. Yeah. That's where I go to for all my social change. Yeah. And again, Kim with her law, her lawyering, right? She got a couple of people out of jail. I mean, yeah, that's true also, but like people got Maybe. up in arms about some, Maybe. some situation Maybe. with Pepsi. Pe- Pepsi doesn't do this very well. They're very bad at like, making statements instead of just putting up a black square like everybody else they're like let's make this profound commercial where everybody dances to some fucking pepsi and the cops are all, all of a sudden not killing black people because kendall jenner saved us all <laughs> there i'd like to teach the world to sing moment kind of fell flat huh yeah yeah it did hell even coke funny enough with that commercial think about that mm-hmm. no isn't that some sort of uh that was a a message back in the seventies, which right? commercial? That came up. I, I like to buy. I, I like to teach the world to sing. I like to buy the world a coke. Oh, and right, right, you right, that, right. You know that commercial way back when, where everybody's singing around the world, and I ain't singing it on this, but I'm just saying. Isn't hands there a, across the water, water. Yeah. Hands across the sea. That kind of shit. Yeah, yeah. The the one thing I'll I didn't want to bring up before. <laughs> the one thing I wanted to bring up before. Um, you know, you kind of put this one to bed is, um, you know, it's one reason why I kind of wanted to do this today as far as uh topic was, um, I don't know if you heard what happened a few days ago. I think it was just two days ago. No, I don't. Dwayne Wade. Oh, well, no, Dwayne Wade, um, is now a minority owner in the Utah jazz. Dope. The Utah freaking jazz. That's, like that's dope, right? <laughs> oh, it's huge because again, if 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 it all comes down to money, one way to change the conversation, one way to change the narrative, you're telling someone to shut up and dribble. But fascinatingly enough, you've now given you know these athletes the tools and the resources to enact social change from within. How fascinating is that? Yeah. Um, Chris Rock, and I think I mentioned this in another episode prior, um, you know, there's a difference between being rich and being wealthy. And yes. those who are rich essentially are getting paid by those who are wealthy. And it's very fascinating that those that are rich finally realize that their money can go a lot further if they decide, hey, how can I be wealthy in order to enact that social change? Right, in this context, the... Only way- the- <clears throat> Excuse me. In this context, the wealthy being the owners, and the excuse me, the rich being the players, right? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And it's very fascinating, and it's welcome, you know, to this extent. Michael Jordan owns the Charlotte Hornets now. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and he bought it from another, you know, the first black owner in the NBA. I think it was the first black owner in 
all professional sports, Robert Johnson, I think, when he got the Bobcats, Man. now the Hornets. Um, and Jesus, that was even that long ago. I mean, it, man, so, this country sometimes. You, you know, know what, though? I, mean, like, <laughs> I forgot that Jordan was an owner yes. of the Hornets. And you have to think about that, too, because that brings a little context to what I said earlier. He does have a lot to lose as an owner. He does. He got in these days. Uh, I yes and no. I think that he actually has less to lose now because he owns. No, when, again, the I mean, people could stop going to team, games. That could be that could be a problem for him. Yeah, but they probably won't. He, <laughs> they could. And number two, but the difference is now he's the boss. It's not like you're going to have an owner be like, "Hey, I disagree with your viewpoint, and I'm going to find a way to get you out of here." It's I'm the boss, and this is how I feel now. Tell me different. He's wealthy, not rich. Well, there and, you go. And he's he's like bigger than Hulk Hogan in his in his industry because they have to listen to him because he's even though Hulk Hogan is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, he has Hulk some, Hogan, some, some, man, hev- some heavy skeletons, heavy skeletons. <laughs> even though Jordan has his own skeletons and who knows what happened to his dad. I'm not going to get into that, but you know, he still has more clout as one of the greatest players of all time and an owner of an NBA franchise. So yeah, you're right. You're right. That's the thing. Jordan realized, and I'm sure all these, and I think a lot of these NBA players realizing too, look at, look, look at LeBron, you know, LeBron's a corporation in and of himself. He, they could shoot somebody on fifth Avenue and they could, they could probably (laughs) get away with it. Well, the one thing that I've always admired about LeBron, I'm not the biggest LeBron fan as a player, but as a person, He's very fascinating to me, and I admire him for basically using the platform that he did. And I think that's something that he actually learned from Michael Jordan, and he decided to do the opposite. Um, I, I think you know a lot of what he does kind of emulates off of what Jordan did. That seems to be the no doubt. thing mm-hmm. that all these new, you know, like the Kobe's and everybody did post Jordan. But I think that the one thing that LeBron took from Jordan is, you know, if I'm going to be the best player in the world, well. Let me use my platform to force this through. Look what LeBron did last year. I mean, good Lord. He alone basically said, well, I'm going to say he alone, but it was his idea to say, hey, uh, you know, professional sports team owners, if we want to have social change, open up your arenas, open up your stadiums, give us more places to vote. You know, he was one of the first to start that. Again, that isn't, you know, I'm broadcasting you know, the way I feel, but even that, you know, that was huge. You know how many more people went out to vote and voice their opinion because of just him saying and putting pressure on, you know, those, those sports teams to say, you know, no one's really using their facilities and we can social distance and have a ton of people vote. But that's what happens when you have a seat at the table. That's what happens again, money. He has the money to do it. He has the clout to do it. He has the power. Michael Jordan, same thing. I, he, he saw, all right, you know what? I can have more of an influence by actually having a seat at the table. And him being an owner, I mean, that speaks volumes. Again, a lot of it, re- representation matters. And just, and protests, I'm going to keep on harping on this, takes different forms. That in and of itself is a, is a way of protest. To see a black man that's a former player say, you know what? I want to own. Look what happened. Another example what happened in uh, Atlanta. That WNBA team, the Atlanta Dream. Mm-hmm. Um, Kelly Leffler, we remember her, former haha, senator of Georgia at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah, she went there and brought politics and all that stuff, like voting rights, etc. All those Georgia issues 
she brought sports into it. She owned, she was a part owner of the Atlanta Dream, that WNBA team. She said, hey, I have issues with the way that they, that, with how they feel. They definitely had issues with how she felt. And they started wearing Raphael Warnock t-shirts. Another form of protest. Yeah. And look what happened. They essentially boycotted her they, and she's their boss. And her ass lost. Pretty badly. Not badly. Well, she, she lost badly. a lot. She didn't lose badly in the election necessarily, but she lost a lot in a very short amount of time. Yep. And she had to sell and she sold she sold her share in the company yeah. to guess who? A former player of the Atlanta Dream. Uh, so there you go. Too bad. So sad. That's Look. that's changed though. Well, let's put it this way. I want to wrap this conversation up, but I yeah. wanna <laughs> I wanna I wanna give one final thought on LeBron's activism in terms of finding finding stadiums as places to vote during an election, which I thought is a I thought was a fucking fantastic idea. I mean, anybody that listens to I that says that's not a good before. idea is a is an asshole because that's a that's a great idea. Why not open up this massive arena? And you know, maybe you know how I feel about stadiums as like a, a engine of economic development. We could talk about that in another episode. And you have your own well, very episode. You have yes. your own very <laughs> expert opinions on that. And for background, I am going to tell people that you know what you tell people what you wanted to do for many years and what you studied basically. And why that that matters to what we're talking about in terms of stadiums, real quick. Well, economic development for cities, especially in context of sports, um, and at least back in the day, stadiums and arenas were seen as catalysts. Right, right. No, I, I know that, but but give your the reason for your background on this. We'll talk about that on the episode because I just want to leave one final thought, but. What is your background that makes you understand this better than the average? Well, yeah. Well, I have a, a degree in urban planning, so exactly. You know, right? I so from, I don't want to say a technical standpoint, but you know, I, I've I've read some things. Well, you understand it better than the layperson, right? So that's why this could be a great conversation for another episode, because you know I have my own opinions on this, and you do, but and you have your own opinions on on stadiums as engines of economic development in different areas. Uh, but maybe I think a great requirement of because stadiums get a lot of tax money. It's it's a fact of life for these professional sports, right? They get huge tax breaks. Maybe a uh, maybe a consequence of that really should be that they they have to be required to host more of a certain type of civic event. They always have to be open for voting. They always have to like maybe they can have they can they can host debates for free, like things like that. Maybe they really should start having civic things happen there when games are not being played, obviously hosting more civic events of, of various kinds possibly. Well, in a post, in a post Corona world, there are a lot of things that are on the table. That's probably one of them. I certainly how do we repurpose. So. Yeah. How, how do we repurpose the stuff that we already have, especially things that allow us to socially distance? Um, I, I like to vote socially distant, I guess in this day and age. So, well, hell yeah. Open up your damn stadiums. Open up the damn stadiums and and <laughs> shut up or dribble and dribble or don't shut up and dribble. I'm not sure if we decided, but that's fine because I guess we're playing both sides of the argument, kind of, sorta, kind of, sorta. So, yeah, I mean, that's been it. That's been our episode and our opinions on the ideas behind shut up and dribble. We got a lot more ideas behind it, obviously, but that's just a snippet of it. And we can be here for several hours, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. But we have lives and I'm sure you people out there listening do as well. So 
let's wrap this up by saying the best way, of course, if you've listened this far, we're about an hour and 15 minutes in. If you've gotten this far, the best way to support your favorite podcast is to like, rate, share, and subscribe to your favorite podcast. You can find us where all your favorite podcasts are sold. So please look us up. If you want to give us some feedback, you can reach out to us at positively cynical podcast at gmail.com. If there are any sound issues or artifacts during this episode, I know you heard my dog a couple of times, and that's probably going to happen whether we're recording remotely or not, unless we're not recording in my house. But yeah, that's it, basically. Thanks everyone out there for joining us and take care, everybody. Have a good day.